Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show for Tuesday, March 23rd. It's going to be an absolutely stunning day again today. A lot of people are going to be getting out and enjoying the weather. Maybe that means you'll hop on a bicycle. We know there's a bike shortage as far as the supply chain goes, and it's not expected to clear up until 2023. But what's going on with the lumber shortage that we were experiencing last year around this time? And have costs come down? We'll discuss that uh, coming up. But first, let's talk about the health of our music industry. Sometimes we forget about the venues. How are they doing after being closed for a year? You know, my uh, background is in music radio, so I've had the pleasure of being spoiled throughout my life. Uh, Large venues, small venues, being able to view bands side stage, which is a really cool vantage point and where you can get to see exactly how they do their craft and how the, you know, what their vantage point looks like, you know, being able to see the crowd respond to, to them. It's pretty cool. However, there's nothing like being smooshed into that crowd at a music venue. Being part of the audience is electric And after being closed for more than a year, things started to shut down at St. Patrick's Day last year. A lot of live music venues are scratching their heads, wondering when, if at all, they're going to be able to open this year. I understand many people are hopeful that they may be able to open by September. The president and CEO of the Canadian Live Music Association, Aaron Benjamin, joins the program. Hey, Aaron, good to have you back. Hey, Kelly. Nice to nice to be back. Thanks again. I think the last time we spoke was at the beginning of this pandemic. Um, since then, how many venues in Toronto have uh, closed permanently? Do we know? Or if not Toronto, broadly across Canada? Well, our, we have a, a crowdsourced venue closures list and we have a couple of columns and one of them is permanent closures. And this is feedback we've gathered from the community. And that number is up over 85 at this point, sadly. Wow. And, these, and are, I these are primary live music venues. So not not pubs that would maybe feature live music one or two days a week, but these are these are, you know, mainstays of the touring infrastructure in this country and incubators for artists right across Canada. Sure. These are places like the Mod Club, which was a great place to see uh, live music in Toronto closing down. The Orbit Room, which, you know, closed after years. They'd been around for ages and one of the live music venues in the city of Toronto. It is just, I, you know, I look at these places and I think about how much they've meant to me. Uh, music is a great connector of people. And also it's a great moneymaker. $3 billion annually uh, the music industry brings to our GDP. And they've lost 92% of their revenue. You're still on the hook for rents. What's going on um, with rents? Because if I think of someone with a square footage in location, which is usually downtown as being where a live music venue that we're talking about is, that's not cheap. That could, the rents can be in the four and five figured uh, arena. Well, this is the thing. I mean, whether there's all kinds of fixed costs that the venues are having to deal with in the absence of any revenue. And certainly some of the federal relief measures like the rent relief program have been necessary um, in helping to sort of solve the short term problem. So a a couple of things. So we we talk about the venues, the venues who have closed permanently and the venues who have not closed are going to come out of this with significant debt load. Right. And this is a this is a huge problem that we're just beginning to talk about to assess how we're going to manage that situation. But for for rent, it's really a conversation between the, the venue manager or owner and the owner of the building, the landlord. So we need these programs to continue for as long as our sector is is shut down so that 
at the very least, we're negotiating some sort of a arrangement where you know, the venue can survive and not have to, to shut down permanently. And what kind of provincial help have, uh, you know, if we're speaking about Ontario, has Ontario given to the Live Music Association and, and venues? Well, there's the Small Business Grant Program, which I understand is helpful for some, not all. That was a maximum of $20,000. And in theory, that program was supposed to hit bank accounts very shortly after application. I know that's not the case, that it didn't roll out exactly as uh, everyone needed it to. Some folks got it quickly, some didn't. Uh, but I think that was helpful. Uh, there are other sort of short-term measures, and we're very anxious about the budget, of course, coming out tomorrow to see mm-hmm. uh, what may be in it for the hardest-hit sectors, including ours. I know that the um, the Ontario government announced a one-time grant of $2 million to the Unison Benevolent Fund. What exactly is that, and how does that help uh, Canadian music? So the, thank you for the question. Uh, the Unison Fund is an incredibly important music industry charity that offers uh, financial and mental health relief to those uh, artists and music industry folks who need it. So it's emergency support, for example, if you can't pay your rent or you you need dental work and you don't have benefits, which of course is the case for most artists in this country. So that money will flow through the existing mechanisms that Unison has to get emergency support out to those who apply for it. And it's a simple uh, application process. Uh, you can find more at unison.ca, I'm sorry, unisonfund.ca. And uh, the, the amazing folks there will help you uh, navigate this, the process. And it's very straightforward. And this money was a huge gesture from the provincial government. We're very grateful to Minister Lisa McLeod for the support, it was historic for Unison, having never received government support before. And $2 million uh, will go a long way because their, uh, the increase on their uh, requests for support have in, have gone up by over 3,000%, Kelly, if you can imagine that. She is living up to herself, uh, named moniker, the Minister of Cheers in, in that respect. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to talk about uh, virtual events. I think a lot of people think that those virtual streaming events, you know, they do a lot of good. Let's face it. They're great yeah. for our own mental health and our, you know, connection to music. They're great for artists reaching their audience, but there really isn't a lot of, they don't really do much for the venues to support the venues. Right. I, I think we, we ignore that. It's uh, you know what? I I'm glad for this question. Also the live streaming, you know, the math on the live streaming, it doesn't, it's, it's not a solution. It is a good stopgap. So for those venues who have made it work, and there are many in this country and in Toronto, uh, you can see a bit of revenue. And the best part about live streaming, as the federal government has just acknowledged through some new money that it's putting into the community through Canadian Heritage, is that it's getting to more folks in the ecosystem, in the supply chain, but by no means is it reaching everybody. So we're here, we've got all of these live streams, we're about to have a lot more thanks to this $15 million that's coming through Factor and Music Action for lives for COVID safe events, the government is calling them, that could be a combination of in person and live streaming. Uh, and it will vary from town to town. But this is, you know, it's uh, the Minister Yibo himself has has acknowledged to me directly that they know that this is just w- one part of a broader solution. And again, when we turn our eyes to the federal budget, whenever it may be, we're very hopeful that we'll see some sector specific support for the live music industry, knowing that they invested 
approximately 23 million over the summer, which for, that's for the entire sector, Kelly, um, not just Toronto, coast to coast to coast. And of course, this industry knows that it has months, if not longer, to get to some kind of finish line on this. So uh, live streaming is uh, is one, one way that we've innovated, but it's certainly not a solution for the, the long stretch that, that we're facing. Yeah, I, I also want to touch on something I think that uh, shocked me and I had no idea. I'm sure a lot of people will have no idea. It doesn't matter how much you're being funded by, you know, the three levels of government. If you can't get insurance, you can't run a business and insurance coverage is apparently underwriters are pulling out of the hospitality sector. How is that affecting live music venues? Okay, so this is crushing. And I'm going to speak very directly here. This is a huge problem. At the end of the day, it may be uh, that it's not COVID that, you know, has the greatest impact on the future of the live music industry. It could be our inability to be insured. And it is Still, uh, I scratch my head every day, Kelly, because I'm just shocked that we find ourselves in this situation. We are working with some great brokers who are attempting to sort of salvage the situation. But the reality is a very large underwriter uh, classifying the Canadian situation as what the, an insurance term called a hard market pulled out in its in entirety and uh, stopped underwriting a variety of sectors, including live music and live music venues. So we're trying to solve this, but I tell you, it has been one of the biggest challenges trying to find underwriters uh, who are willing to sort of jump in and close this gap. We've worked with the insurance industry. We've worked with the brokers. Uh, we've had conversations with finance ministers to try and, uh, you know, in film and television, they've been very lucky to have a, I believe it's up to $100 million now backstop program through the federal government to help them because they were in the same situation. So while live music isn't alone, it is, it's pretty terrifying to think that it may be the absence of insurance that brings down even more venues moving forward. And frankly, as the leader of the live music uh, industry in this country, I simply cannot, we cannot allow this to happen. So what's their main reason? Aaron, uh, we're risk, pulling out risk, Kelly. If you can believe it, I mean, the vast majority of our members—they're <laughs> an insurer. That's their business is risk. Yeah, it's it's as I say, it's head scratching, and uh, it's not like something changed overnight. That the insurance industry has told me that it's a, a sheer coincidence that the large underwriter left the market at the time mm -hmm. COVID hit. Um, that's kind of irrelevant at this point. We're still in the same situation. We, you know, with or without them. So it. You know, no one has stepped in to fill that void. So it's uh, it's pretty shocking. I mean, we know certain types of insurance are regulated um, by provinces like car insurance, for example. You must mm -hmm. have insurance to drive your car. So government has a, at a certain point has recognized how, you know, in order it had to intervene at a certain point to make that happen. And, and I hope we don't have to go there. To, along a regulatory route, but uh, we do need a solution and we do need underwriters to, you know, work with us. And again, we've got some amazing brokers who are trying to have a, a rational, reasonable conversation on this because we are not any riskier than any other business and nor are we any riskier since COVID hit. So it's, it's very frustrating. Aaron, I got to leave it at that one, but I want to thank you for your time. And here's what I'm hoping for you is that um, we have a repeat of history and we go into a serious situation where once we have reached herd Im immunity, we return to the uh, the roaring 20s because our music venues desperately need our, our support again. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Kelly. Pleasure. You might be looking at your art thinking, oh, we are going to be dealing with this pandemic through the summer. I got to get that deck build. I I 
I uh, held off last year because the price of lumber was high. What's lumber at right now? Good question. I don't know if the prices are still inflated uh, because I haven't been in the market for wood, go figure, um, in a while. But over the weekend, my husband had to replace some uh, boards and he just went, I'm going to replace all the boards on our back fence. And it was about um, 400 bucks, maybe about that. And I said, is that expensive for wood? What's what's the going rate? And he said, you know what? I haven't bought wood in a while, so I have no idea. So Kevin Lee joins the show. He's CEO of the Canadian Home Builders Association. Kevin, good to have you back. Oh, thanks for having me. I figured what we do here is get an indication of where we sit as far as lumber prices go. Now, when we last spoke, they were up about three times the cost, and that was during the pandemic. We're still in the pandemic, but it was like in the midst of last summer, I believe, when we spoke. So what are we at right now as far as lumber prices go? Yes, we are still right up there, as you say. You know, just taking an example of just a a two-by-four stud, it's still about three times the price of what it would have been um, before the pandemic hit. And as 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 you heard in in your your news brief there, um, you know housing demand has remained incredibly high, uh, probably to the surprise of many um, throughout the pandemic, both north and south of the border. The exact same thing's going on in the U.S. and and uh, we have super high lumber demand in the U.S. as well, and it's a North American market. So um, the lumber industry is having a hard time catching up. There's a shortage of supply, and we're seeing those high prices both in Canada and the U.S. Now, refresh our memories on the how the pandemic originally affected the lumber industry. Supply was affected because uh, lumber um, uh, lumber companies had to pull back, um, and they had to where they produced the boards and such. They had to account for physical distancing. Some cases they had to close. What what were they going through? Yeah, certainly in those early stages of the pandemic, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen. There were many forecasts that suggested that the housing market was, you know, going to really take a big hit. And as a result, as as you said, there were, you know, the social distancing conditions and it was difficult to operate. But on top of that, there was an expectation that, you know, things would be slow. So more lines at the mills came off. And so as particularly last summer, as you alluded to, people started, where we really started to see it first was as people started to do their backyard projects and, and pressure-treated lumber was the first thing to become scarce um, last summer. But then things continued in the housing market, both new construction and re- renovation really took off. Um, faster than the mills were able to get back online and see that this was a reality and a surge. And so that's, and that surge has continued. Normally we would get a slowdown in housing activity through the fall. And in fact, the prices did come down for a brief time through October as the mills got up to speed. Um, but then, you know, the, the activity again, both north and south of the border really took off and we've seen the high prices ever since. Our, our Canadian mills are back up running near a hundred percent. But in the U.S., they're still quite a bit behind. And um, as a result, there's a real North American shortage of lumber. And, and mm-hmm. it's, so we're not only seeing uh, lumber prices high, but now we're starting to see scarcity of product as well. And where are we seeing the scarcity mainly? Um, well, certainly all across the country, um, and especially in some of the manufactured wood products now, too. Um, oriented strand board, or OSB as it's referred to, for example, um, which is used for sheathing walls and roofs and even floors um, that's becoming harder and harder to come by right now so uh, we are in in new construction seeing some pretty serious delays in terms of ability to finish 
construction of homes um, in Ontario. We're running, looks like on average, about seven weeks behind right now just because of the scarcity of product. Wow. I understand that, you know, we're at full capacity, but as you said, it's a North American market. So a lot of our um, mills and, and uh, lumber uh, businesses are sending lumber uh, stateside as well. Industry experts are warning it could be years before the numbers go down to pre-pandemic levels. Why would that be? Is it just based on demand? Well, what we have is um, we've actually had a shortage of housing supply, and that started before the pandemic, and that continues. And that's, we've, you know, as an association, spoke a lot about that. It's one of the main issues with the housing affordability. It's one of the main issues with bidding wars. You know, if there's not enough houses on the market, both resale and, and new, um, then you get, you know, bidding wars and escalating prices. And what the pandemic has done is, given people an opportunity to think about um, where they might want to live if you've been fortunate to keep your job and, and probably end up saving a lot of money through the pandemic because you couldn't travel, you couldn't do all the things you'd normally spend the money on. It's put people in a different headspace and a different financial position. And so people are looking to buy and they're buying further afield. They can buy further from downtown cores. We also have the millennials who are now a big part of the marketplace, not only buying their first home, but the older millennials, which is a big part of the population, looking for their sort of move up home, their their second home as probably their family grows. Mm -hmm. So we have a big demand just through demographics that's hitting the market uh, right now. Um, and you couple that with everything else, uh, we see a lot of demand in the marketplace and, and the mills are having to get back up to speed and, and catch up. So we expect the demographics to continue to drive demand. And uh, as a result, it's going to be a while for lumber to, to stay up high in terms of prices. Uh, hopefully by the second half of the year, it'll start to come down, but it is a, a longer term challenge for sure. Wow. So if you're a contractor, this isn't great news for you either. It's very difficult time to be working in, in construction. Um, you know, if you're a, if you're a new home builder and, you, and you're prying, trying to price your homes because you sell them now and they're not going to be, you know, finished construction turned over to the homeowner for eight months, a year, potentially longer um, with lumber prices going up, it becomes challenging. So we are, you know, I've talked about the challenges with getting more supply online and we need more, but some of our builder members are saying, you know, we're not going to release as many homes right now. We're not going to do as many pre-sales because we don't have control of those input costs in terms of lumber and other things. So we're going to do less at a time, so less at a time and, and get closer to the point where we can actually build um, so that we can control those prices more. So, so that's a big challenge. And if you're hiring a renovator to do work on your home, they'll no doubt talk to you about that and keep you abreast of prices on the positive side. When you hire a professional renovator, they can probably get access to materials in a different way through bulk purchasing and their arrangements with the, the lumber yards. And mm. I always tell people, hire a good contractor, get your contracts in place. We have our own rental mark uh, program, which is a good place to find a professional renovator, uh, but hire a pro who can get you those contracts and maybe have better access to materials than you might be able to have as an individual. So for the average person who is looking out at their yard and thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I, I held off on the deck last year, but it looks like we're going to need some outdoor space. What's your recommendation? Are you, I, I know that you're in the Home Builders Association and, you know, uh, you know a lot about lumber, but are you suggesting people maybe change their, their direction, maybe go to a stone patio? Is, is that something that people should be entertaining, changing plans and changing the, the, uh, the way they look at their backyard? 
Well, wood's probably still one of your, despite the fact that the prices are up, wood is still probably one of your less expensive finishing options, depending on how you want to go. But uh, again, work with a pro, work with a good designer, look at, look at your different options. Um, and financially, there's some, yeah, some trickier decisions uh, to be made this year. But unfortunately, with travel restrictions looking like they'll still be there, people might have a little bit of extra money that they would have spent on vacation, and maybe they are going to want to spend it on their yard. So do your shopping and work with the right person. And yeah, understand that it might be a little pricier than it would have been um, a year or two ago. So do you expect that we're going to run into those shortages again? The the fact that people are going to the Home Depot sometime in you know, May to look at building a deck and it's like, mm, sold out, sorry, can't get any wood. It very well could be. One of the biggest determining factors on that is going to be what happens in the United States. As I mentioned, those mills need to get up and running at full speed. And if that happens, then there'll be a better chance for the full North American market to to recover and, and keep inventory in stock. And we're hearing same, I'm part of the International Housing Association, and there's similar challenges in much of the developed world right now, just with supply chains being so disrupted. So hopefully the Americans will get their systems up and running, and that will uh, help in Canada as well. Takeaway is uh, pack your patience or make sure your wallet is uh, bulky. <laughs> work, work with a good contractor, make some good financial plans. Um, they should be able to lock in. Prices a little better too, and if you're doing it on your own, um, yeah, keep an eye on those prices. They're going to be up and down, and unfortunately, probably mostly up for the summer. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Always a pleasure having you around. Don't forget, we broadcast live three hours daily from nine till noon on Global News Radio six forty Toronto.